Today's podcast is brought to you by Cherry Bundy. Guys, legitimately one of the best recovery products I've ever discovered is hands down Cherry Bundy. And I'm certainly not the only one because over 400 pro and college athletic teams religiously fuel their bodies with Cherry Bundy's high performance wellness products. Cherry Bundy was born from tart cherry juice's powerful impact on sleep, recovery, and overall health. Three things that are absolutely crucial if you want to perform at your highest potential. The science has showed that using Cherry Bundy can decrease inflammation by up to 49%. You can get up to 90 more minutes of sleep, and it also increases your antioxidants by 11%, supporting your immune system and health. You guys can start to recover faster, sleep better, and perform at your highest potential by trying out Cherry Bundy today. All you got to do is go to cherrybundy.com and use code TRE, that's the letters TRE, to get 20% off of your purchase of Cherry Bundy's incredible products Today. Again, that is code TRE to get 20% off of your purchase at chariotbundy.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and before we hop right into today's episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow and a five star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Doing those two things greatly helps us and it takes you about five to 10 seconds because you're already listening to this. So hit those two buttons, the follow button and give us a five-star review. I'd greatly appreciate it. And also think of someone you know uh, who would be positively impacted as a result of listening to today's episode, whether that's a family member, a member on your team, a coworker, whatever it might be. Send this episode their way because two things happen. One, we can reach more people and expand the show, but also hopefully we can and inspire them in the process by them listening to the podcast. Uh, today, I get to speak with the one and only Woody Kincaid. Woody is an Olympian. He made the world championship team last year. He's an American record holder. He ran 12.51 in the 5K earlier this year. He's an absolute stud, and I've been wanting to make this conversation happen for quite some time, so I was so happy to make this one happen. Today's conversation was incredible, so much fun, so many different subjects discussed, and I won't keep talking about it because you can just hear for yourself. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the one and only Woody Kincaid. Woody Kincaid, as you know, I've been wanting to make this one happen for a while. You literally won the U.S. Olympic 10K trial, so it's a it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. I, I was talking to you before the podcast. It's not like I would do this for any podcast. I just think you do you do a good job. For, for someone who's as young as you are, it's, it's a polished podcast. It's it's informative. It's got you've had a lot of good guests, so I'm honored. Thank you. I'm curious. Uh, you had a podcast back in the day, but just like from my seat and and getting your perspective on this, who are some of the people within the sport that you would be fascinated to hear them on a long form conversation? Uh, it depends uh, what kind of mood I'm in. Like if I'm just trying to have. Uh, like a part in your take kind of thing. I'd be like Stewie McSween and Matt Sensowitz, you know, those kind of things. But, you know, it, it, people bring different things to, to the conversation. If I want to know about the stats of a sport, I'd like to know, talk to some of the agents. You know, I, I don't think agents really get enough uh, voice because they, they play a big part in the sport and you don't really see them go on podcasts and things like that very often. So, um, maybe, maybe you break into that somewhere. I love it. Yeah. The one agent I did have on the show who you're very well connected to Emily Pritt, that was a fascinating conversation and you're right. They do so much specifically behind the scenes that goes unnoticed. And it's like, wow, you do a lot more than, than I actually realize. I'm curious, like from a perspective of staying within the sport after you hang up the spikes or the road racing shoes or who knows the trail shoes, whatever they might be down the road, like how do you want to stay connected in the sport? Is it through a podcast? Is it through being a coach? Is it through being an agent? Or at that point, are you going to be like, no, I'm just going to sit, sit on the couch and watch NBA and never think of running again? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, I, this, I've committed so much of my life to this and I, I've, I've fallen in love with certain parts of it. And I think that um, down the line, I could see myself working with people in, in some form. I, I don't see myself necessarily on a marketing team or like that. Maybe, maybe that will change, but um, you know, I like working with people, helping them run faster. I like learning different ways um, to get better, you know? So maybe coaching if, that, if that's an opportunity, but that's, there's so many things that go into being 
a coach and it takes a long time and it's a lot of work to be a coach. So it, it's hard to say, man, I, I want to stay in the sport. Um, I haven't really put too much of my energy into thinking 10 years down the line yet. Speaking of coaches, when you think to your incredible coaches throughout your career, whether it was in high school, college, professional, uh, the various coaches you've had and, and been under, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from those individuals that stick out to you? I mean, yeah, there, I, you learn a lot. I've been, um, I've been fortunate to, I think a lot of it has to do uh, with having good surrounded. I've been surrounded by good people from the very beginning, right? Like I, my high school coach. I really loved her and uh, my college coach, I really loved him and my college team, I really loved them. So I, I think you have to have, to have a successful career, you have to have an entire system. It's a systemic sport in a lot of ways. It's an individual um, performance, but you need, you know, it takes a village, it really does. So I think to your point, I don't think there's any one person I learned the most from, but rather that you need, you need a good, you need a good situation every step of the way. Um, now nah, I, I, I've learned a lot from each one of those, uh, different situations. And I think I would give different advice for different points in my career. So I, I can't really nail that down on that question. I read uh, a saying on, uh, one of your profiles that you started getting into the sport freshman year of high school and you were the kid who showed up in jeans and skater shoes. If you were to talk to that version of Woody and, and say, Hey, I'll make the Olympics, I'll make the world championships, and I'll have an American record. Would he have believed you? And what would he have thought of that individual? Oh, man. I mean, that was, <laughs> you can't even explain to somebody when they're when they're in ninth grade what, what the future holds, man. But uh, I always say the one thing that I would change to, to that person, it, it wouldn't be showing up in spade, you know, I was who I was. I, I, I don't regret that. I would just say he should have just gotten more sleep, you know. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't regret the fact that I, I wasn't a, uh, a runner per se at the very beginning, but so much as the things outside of running, I wish I would have just, uh, made, made it easier for myself. So when I asked you about, you know, hanging up the spikes one day and how you want to be involved in the sport, you said something to the extent of like, you've, you've put too much time and effort into the sport to, to kind of give it up completely. What makes the sport of running special to you that makes it stand out above other sports? Obviously, you are gifted and naturally, you know, the results back that up. But like, why running over basketball or baseball or all the other sports that millions of American kids try? Like, why running? And as you sit here today with me, having done so much in the sport, what do you think makes it special that makes it stand out over the other sports for you individually? Well, it, it, running is kind of a bit of a, it's a, an acquired taste, right? So when you first start running, it's like, man, I can't wait to do that tomorrow. Um, but it's the little things that you start to realize you love about running along the way. Like you're, um, you know, I actually really like that feeling of being really, really tired after a race and having had just a good race on a Friday night, like in high school and sleeping really, really hard. Um, you know, it's it, there's you can be proud of your accomplishments in running. You can really love. The, the people that you train with, you know, I look forward to waking up and, and going to runs with both myself and with other people. Um, I think what you'll find um, with running is runners are, are a special, special breed, man. They're, I had a friend who went professional um, or tried to be a professional poker player per se. And, oh, he did actually. And he was a trying to be a professional runner at one point and he tried to be a professional poker player and he ends up, he was a better poker player. <laughs> he really was, but, but he tried to go back to being a professional runner because he liked the people he worked with. And, um, I think the people, something about running people who want to push themselves, who are motivated, who, um, aren't afraid to, to do really hard things and, and still have a good time. It's, it's a special sport. And I think other endurance, endurance sports probably have a similar um, culture, but it's just not the same as running. You know, you're not talking to them. You're not really, it's just, a, it's its own thing. So um, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I'm unsure of your parents' background in sports, but specifically when you started getting more serious about running as you progressed in high school, what were their thoughts of, of your individual journey within the sport and you getting more serious and 
doing the things that it, it takes to, to be more serious, like training harder and inevitably the, the things you, you got to do. What were their thoughts and perceptions of that? <laughs> My family is uh, different than um, a lot of pro runner families I know is, and they, they don't, they're, they like sports, but they don't know running per se. You know, I, I leave the house and they don't really know what I do when I leave the house. I just say, hey, I'm going to go run for 20 miles. And then I pop back in and they make me dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's really all I need. So um, I, I don't think they ever really even knew the difference between when I was uh, taking it more serious and when I wasn't. And that, in some ways, that's refreshing uh, in that I don't talk about running when I go home with my parents and I can talk about running with someone like you and the people I run with. Um, and sometimes it's a challenge when I say, hey, I want to leave Bowerman Track Club. And they say, are you crazy? You know, um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure they they ever I maybe I surprised them quite a bit when I when I did so well, because they they don't exactly follow what I do every day. So what are some of the like when you go back home and, and you're talking with your mom, what are some of the subjects that you like to talk about with her outside of running because as or your family just as a whole, like you come home for Thanksgiving, like what are that? What are the subjects? Well, it, we're an interesting family in that we all we just kind of. <laughs> I think we're a pretty normal family. We just talk about movies. We talk about uh, my, my, you know, my brother's john he's looking at getting his phd at texas we we're all pretty quiet all of us um i'd say we're a very close family but we're, we're not like we're not a loud family we're not like a rambunctious family we, we we'll play like games together we'll watch movies together you know we'll go out to dinner together um i don't think we really talk about work that much <laughs> if i'm honest um my brother is he He's the manager of a burger joint in a mall. Um, my younger brother and my older brother is going back to school to get his uh, PhD in, in engineering. Um, and my mom is a retired flight attendant. So we all kind of have our own thing going on. And like I said, they're not, they, they like to watch me race, but I wouldn't say they're, you know, <laughs> super involved in running in any way. So yeah, we just kind of talk about the same things that most people would talk about at Thanksgiving. So when you break the American record, are they like noticing that and, and sending you a text after watching the race? Or do you have to send a, a text to the family group chat like, hey, guys, broke the American record? <laughs> no, no. They're, they're huge fans. You know, they're huge fans of what I do. If I race, they'll sit down and they'll watch the race. And my aunt and uncle, too, and and, and my cousin. So, I, uh, no, they're, they they understand the significance of what it is to me and, and they know I work really hard at it and that it's important to me. Um, but they, they have their own lives too. You know, they, they work really hard and they, they have their own goals and ambitions. So it's not like it's, I don't think it's a woody, woody conversation very often. So when you were in high school, at what point did it go from jeans and skater shoes to Hey, I actually want to be good at this thing, and I can be good at this thing, as seen by you know you placing eleventh at Foot Locker, I believe. Uh, I I realized pretty early that I could be pretty good at running, but that was that was not from me. That was from like I said, the people around me who saw me saw the potential. My my coach uh, Natalie Reyes said, "Hey, I think you can be up there with Connor Winter, who's also he ran for Tin Man Elite for for years," and so that was. That was kind of placed in my head by by my coaches that people who had experience who could see those see that stuff um so i think it it wasn't hard to be serious um even though i did show up in skater shoes and jeans when someone's saying hey you can be a, a real state contender in this or something along those lines right as you sit here in march 2023 how often do you reflect on those early years as a professional, the college years, or more specifically those high school years where, you know, we're sitting here talking about that, that freshman version of Woody and, and thinking to all the progress that has been made in high school and college in your professional years, how far you've come, you know, if, if you had to chart it on a graph, it would, of course, there are the ups and downs and the injuries and the lower moments. But for the most part, you know, from freshman year of high school to today, you've grown exponentially. So how often do you reflect on the progress that you've made within the sport? Yeah, sometimes it's it it's surreal. It, 
I think anyone who has had a lot of success doing anything like your podcast, right? Did you expect to be able to have the the presence that you have already? You know, I um, I, I think you you told me before when we were just chatting, you put you threw your heart and soul into this, and you think that's why you've had um, a lot of success. And I think that's how I look at it too. Is yeah, I, I think I could have. I always thought I could be successful because I was throwing my heart into it when I when I was working out and um and in other ways and i look back on it and i think it makes sense but i also know that you know it wasn't it wasn't promised and it's still not promised to to anyone i'm curious you talking there how important do you think it is to be passionate about the thing you're doing or do you think that's not very important so the reason i asked that is because you were talking about our conversation prior to the interview where i was telling you about you know this is something i'm super passionate about and i throw my heart and soul into it because of that and because of that i think it's successful i'm curious in in your own running you talking about it here you know you're a very passionate individual about this sport and i sitting here evaluating that would think well that could be a reason that you're successful do you think that passion is correlated with more success or have you seen individuals in the sport who go through periods where they're not passionate about it and hate it still do well? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think passion always helps when, uh, when you're at a moment when you can get out, you know, like when I was injured for a year, I was hurt in college quite often. Uh, I think those bumps in the roads are, are good moments to reflect on if if you want to really commit back to this sport um when people only have success and they only are and they're never you know you talk to people it's like i've never been injured it's like okay well you're going to be and (laughs) you're gonna have to recommit to this sport you're gonna have to it's gonna you're gonna have to remember what it's like to get back in shape like in high school i think some of the hardest feeling of running is is actually in high school because you it's when you're just starting to run and your body's not really used to it for me, from my own personal experience. Um, but, uh, you know, you also have to go through that whole new process again when, you, when you've when you had those those bumps in the road. So yeah, I think passion is important. Um, I think it helps you get through the hard moments, but it's not the only thing that gets you through. I think you have to have infrastructure, things around you, um, not just a strong will and passion to do that. You need that, um, but, I think about the times when I could have gotten out of the sport and what brought me back in is that I was, it was part of, you know, I was part of the team. I was, um, I still thought that I had more to give to the sport and, and I still had coaches that believed in me. So it just comes down to the fact that you have to have passion, but you also need to have, you have to have a system around you that you want to go back to. Right. It's like passion rightly directed and passion being one of the 10 ingredients to success, not the only, and it's not dependent upon that. It's it's a big ingredient. Well, it's a big ingredient. Maybe, big ingredient. maybe like the, the sugar or butter to, to some chocolate chip cookies, but it's not, it's not everything. Um, I'd agree with yeah. that. Um, when I first started getting into the sport, there were a few people that I was particularly fascinated by, motivated by, inspired by not just within the podcasting space, but also within my running, my own runners I looked up to. You were one of those guys, and it was for one very specific reason. It was the 1258 race. And from that moment on, I've wanted to, to have a conversation with you. So it's kind of surreal having, you know, as I was telling you about reflection and having you reflect, it's kind of a moment of reflection for me of how far I've come to make this this interview happen. And you want to come on my show, me not having to drag you on. So um, just talking about that, that 1258 race, like, I don't know, there's so many different questions I could ask you within it. One story I love hearing you tell, could you tell the story of you waking up the day of the race feeling like crap, warming up, feeling like crap, trying to convince Jerry to, to not let you race and how it, <laughs> how, how it all unfolds. Yeah. I, I so I'd had a, a really, I was training with Mohamed, Matt Sensowitz and Lopez Lamog for, for three months. And we were, every workout was lights out and, um, I was in really great shape. Um, I was third at, at USA's that year. I had a really good race at USA's, but I didn't have the standard. Um, so, um, Jerry said, I don't want you to go to Europe. If you, if you come, I want you to get back here and we're going to make sure you have the standard next year. And that made sense to me. Um, and once we committed to that, I mean, back, back then the standard standard was, I think, uh, 13, 12, 
if I remember, 13, 12.5, 12 and a half, um, which everyone still felt was like a really hard thing to do. So yeah, I think after USA's, I, I really wanted to get that standard. And so we worked out really, really hard the month before. And for whatever reason, a few days, you know, before I like, I got in super late, my whole, my whole feng shui was kind of messed up and I didn't feel good the morning that I woke up for, woke up for the race. And um, I was like, I, I feel really, really bad. <laughs> um, and Jerry, I went to Jerry because um, I was really, really nervous. And I'm like, I, Jerry, I don't, I don't think I can do this right now. And uh, thank God he, he shut me down and uh, told me a story about how Matt Tegenkamp went through a similar situation. I think he had food poisoning. He's like, I don't think I could race. And, and he's like, listen, he went out there and he was had one of the best races of his career. I forget where I, what race race he especially talked about, actually. Um, but, you know, I think that was one of those moments where I was fortunate I had good guidance to to put me in that race. Now, that race was one of the hardest races I ever ran. <laughs> I'm serious. If, if you watch me, I very rarely will I like I'll, I'll yak often, but rarely will I lay down after a race and throw up for 30 minutes after a race. That was one of the hardest races I ever did. So I didn't feel good. And <laughs> it still sticks with me to this day with how hard that race was. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad that you, you know about that race because um, it's possible that if the camera wasn't there, if, if uh, you know, um, that, that camera crew hadn't put onto the race that nobody would have even known anything about that race. So I guess it just shows you like you can have some disappointments early in the season, but if you keep, you know, working towards a goal, you'll, you'll get your moment in some way. If, if that's a, if that's something you want to take away from it, I guess. I honestly think you crossing the line, arms outstretched, like what's going on? Did I just break 13 is one of the most iconic photos in the sport of running, at least from my perspective wow. of, of a, a, a new era runner who's kind of brought up uh, viewing the sport. I, that's one of the most iconic photos. And I guess yeah. going to that moment, you cross the finish line, you outkick Lopez, you break 13. What are the emotions you were feeling when you crossed the finish line? Wow. Uh, I mean, that was, that was a hard, my, that, that training camp before was really, really hard. And it was just, um, you know, it's one of those very, very few moments in your career where you, uh, just overjoyed and, and really proud of, of what just happened. And the whole atmosphere was incredible. You can't, you can't imagine, like, maybe that's an iconic photo because, that that was in my home turf. I'd been I'd been on Portland I'd been at Portland for my college career and then my my professional career. So there were people I'd seen um, that I'd grown up with, um, and so yeah, that, that's one of my favorite races of of my career, no doubt. Um, maybe one of my favorite moments in my life. Uh, just having a successful day with everyone that helped helped you get there. You know, that's that's what you can hope for. You you, you kind of get that in uh, college cross country and that, that maybe that's what I kind of missed a little bit was the celebration of a successful day together. Um, but, yeah, that was a great moment. I'm glad that you liked it as much as I did. man. that's I mean, you know, it means a lot to me. I'm curious, how important to you is it to keep believing in yourself for that breakthrough performance when even just that season prior or, or a part of the same season, the races prior within the same season were, didn't necessarily go according to plan or as well as you would have hoped. I know the third place at USA's was a good performance for you, but nothing that would necessarily indicate a 12.58 or the few previous years on the Bowerman Track Club, good performances, fast times indoors, you know, different things that would maybe indicate a good performance, but nothing like 1258. No one saw that coming unless right. I'm completely right. unattached from the media. It didn't seem like that was expected. <laughs> so how important to you was it to keep believing in yourself and kind of having a super strong confidence in yourself despite the outside no noise of the world that would have said that performance was not possible? Uh, you know, I had, I had been working out with Mo and Lopez and Centro. So I had that feedback to know that I was in shape to race with these guys. 
Um, so I wish, you know, I, I also knew that those, there were moments before that, that I had a lot of good chances to run fast. So I had that, that internal knowledge knowing, Hey, I could have run faster at, at these different moments and it didn't quite work out. And I also had that um, external feedback from, I'm, I've been working out with these guys and they're in world championship medal contention. Uh, so it was kind of a combination of both of things that, um, the media, the media is not, not going to know all those things. They're just never going to know that. So um, if you're looking for confidence or you want to know where you're at going to the race, you have to look at, okay, where, what have you done before in workouts? Where, where has your fitness been before, even if you haven't shown on the track? And also, okay, where are the people that you're working out? What, how are they doing too? And I fortunately was in a situation where I was with the best in the world and I'd known that I could have been there before. And that's, that's, that's how a good race happens. You know, how special would it have been to have a Netflix documentary crew at that training camp leading into this race and have that kind of three month period be like the formula one full swing type thing. How cool yeah. would that series have been? Yeah. My girlfriend watched that. I think, you know, it, it was probably a hidden gem out there that, that, uh, I wish we would have had camera crews there. Cause that was a special camp. That was a wild, time with Centro, Lopez, me, Mo, and uh, Hassan Mead for one of the months. That, that, was, that was a wild camp, man. That was a special camp. I always love to know what goes into a performance like that, right? And that's why I've started to do these series called The Call Room, where I document an athlete season, going through the different races with them and, and kind of go behind the scenes, pull back the curtain on what it took to get there. So pulling back the curtain on this performance, while I know it was years in the making and no one specific workout that puts you in 1258 shape, obviously, I would love to put myself in the seat on the track and seeing you all breathe fire in those sessions and really start to put work to the chatter of 13 minutes because it's one thing to put that out there. It's another thing to work for it. So is there one or two sessions when you think back to, because you've talked about this camp that stand out as you walking away from the track, like this was unbelievable. And also I think in a post-race interview, you said, you know, you finished very, very few of those. So what's, I mean, what's that like? Well, um, you want, like, I can remember one workout off the top of my head that is a textbook kind of example from that camp that I actually finished, um, where, you know, Jerry very often, and I'm not going to get too much into details, will do hard miles on the front or a, a bit above threshold miles and then uh, a cut down maybe on, on of those miles too, and then run you really, really hard. And, you know, I like the term that you said, breathing fire, because Mohamed, I mean, smoke was coming out of this guy's nostrils in 2019. Um, And he was just really hungry to get a medal that year. This is before he was a world medalist. He had not gotten bronze or silver yet. So, um, but he really wanted that. So Jerry would give us a workout and say, okay, we got four miles uh, or five miles on the front. Uh, We're gonna cut down those miles. And then we're going to do, uh, you know, an 800, 600, 500, you know, 300, 200 or something. And whatever the pace that Jerry assigned us, uh, Mo, Ahmed, and Lopez Amon would kind of feed off each other. <laughs> and me and Central would just look at each other and could see that they they were seeing red. And uh, whatever pace he was, we, we think we were going to run, we had to expect to run like two or three seconds faster than that. So... Or, or, and I'm not even kidding. Like if it was an 800 and Jerry says we're going to run a, a two flat, it became a, a 157, you know, and that, that makes a big difference when um, <laughs> when you're running as hard as you are. So um, I kind of lost track of, of the question, but that, that's kind of what the vibe was that year is, is Mo is Mo is out for blood. Lopez will he'll not back down to anything. He likes that. He feeds off that. Centro is just a world class. Like he's just, you know, He's competitive too, and I had a lot to prove because I'm like I, I'm hanging on. I I, <laughs> I want to do it too, and and uh, it was just a super, yeah, it was a special camp. And then Central is just really fun. Uh, Lopez is is really fun, and Mo's was just out for blood. So I don't know. I look back on that camp quite often. There's the term like the the Bowerman train that I've heard quite a bit in my years following the sport, and basically what it means is 
regardless of the of the rep whether it's a tempo mile repeats or some some quicker stuff like an 800 cut down like you're talking about you just hop on the train and you trust the guy in the front and you feed off of each other's energy and that's why you're able to dig so deep into the well in these workouts is because Mo is keying off of Lopez and vice versa. You're keying off of Centro and vice versa. And you all have that like inner pride that, you know, I got to get the work done today, not only for myself, but also for my brothers on the track so that they have a good workout. Yeah. How special was that feeling in your years with Bowerman and kind of talk to that, that train atmosphere? I mean, you just said it better than I did, man. So <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> so I was like, were you filming? Were you there? Uh, no, but, uh, that's 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 something that's really hard to do on a pro team is to to form a team like that that uh where you do have people who have a lot of pride and want and and want to take on the world and want world medals but also still love training with each other love helping each other love seeing the other person um run as hard as they they can and i think jerry made that at bowerman um i think it can be made other places too but that that is that's kind of what made bowerman so good in my opinion, is that you had so many people who had that, that, um, I don't know if ego is the right word, because I don't think ego is what they have, but had that ambition, had, and still had the groundedness to want that for everyone else, and see that this person running as well as they are, actually helps them in the end, you know, and just, it's just fun, like, you like to see the people around you succeed, the people you, you train with. What's it been like to see kind of the different iterations of the Bowerman Track Club from your first years within the group to, you know, more present day where, where a lot of people are starting to age and get out of the sport or, or leave the team or new people joining the crew? Like, what's that been like to kind of be in this unique middle stage in the history of the club where you've gotten to experience some of the older pieces, but also some of the newer pieces and kind of be a part of its unique history, its different members, its different styles. Like what's that been like to, to be a member of it? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I and it's, you know, the guys, or I, I only talk to the men's team mostly, except for I'll hang out with the girls when we have pizza together or go out or things like that. But to speak from the men's side, um, we do talk a lot about like, uh, kind of like the way the same way old gen and new gen kind of looks at it, each other. Like, so this is the old guard of Bowerman track club and this, these are the new guys. And I think you're, you're right. It's a good observation that there was like kind of an older Bowerman track club and a newer Bowerman track club. And I was right on that bubble where I was like the last guy of the old Bowerman people. And there's always the talks on runs of where do people fall in that category? Are you the, the old way of Bowerman Track Club, or are you the new way of Bowerman Track Club? And I was the last of the old ways of Bowerman Track Club in that sense, where I, I was really close with the guys who were older, um, but I was also like getting really close with the younger guys. And um, so I, I was right in the middle of that. And I did get to see the older guys and uh, watch them uh, win medals and then retire. And then I got to see the young guys start to really take off people younger than me like you know really mark scott you know josh thompson uh grant fisher coming to the team from different places and go on to to have really great careers too so um yeah i don't know if that really answers your question but it was it was kind of uh, a unique situation that i was in where I was there for like the golden age. Right. From your years of 2016 to 2022 on the team, what are some of those memories or moments you'll forever cherish of those years on the Bowerman Track Club? I mean, I can't even, you know, I can't really put one moment out there. Uh, one of the reasons why it's very difficult, it was hard for me to leave Bowerman. Um, it's because it's so, like, I look forward to going to those camps with those guys. You know, uh, I always say like one of my favorite things about running is doing like a team dinner before a race or something like that, you know, like going to get pasta with your team and everyone just, you know, talking about ex-girlfriends or, or whatever. The, I love that. Bowerman kind of had that every night, you know, we got to have dinner and then the next day was a race was like a workout or, or something like that. So 
it's a really hard and you know thing to to find. Um, I don't know many other teams that are that are like that. We did talk about this in terms of like the the train aspect, but you know one of the biggest principles that I try to live my life by is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think you've said multiple times in this interview whether it's you know, you're just having the right people in your life at the right time and people who are pushing you in the right direction. Your, your positive family, you know, Bowerman Track Club teammates who are literally pushing you to your limits on the track. How crucial has that been in your career to surround yourself with the correct people so that you can maximize your potential both in the sport but also in life? Uh, everything. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's If there's anything you take away from that podcast, that's what you need, is you are exactly what you said. You're the culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. And that carries with you in ways that you don't understand. You don't know how – you know, I started picking up mannerisms from – from Bowerman Track Club, we all start to kind of like mirror each other in certain ways. And if you're, if what you're mirroring is a gold medalist or a silver medalist, that's not a bad, that's not a bad, uh, bad company to be in. So I, you know, I think you need to have good mentors. You need to have good teammates, and ultimately, yeah, you just more than more, more than mentors. It's it's uh, the people you surround yourself with that you see every day. Can you talk about the race I mentioned in my introduction of this episode, the 10K U.S. Olympic trials, winning that race with your family in attendance, your dad, your mom? Like, what was that that feeling like? I think that's probably a maybe similar race to you as the 1258 was where, you know, you knew you could do something big. It was just a question of when and you happened to do it on the day. And similarly, you know, arms outstretched, like just another special moment, at least as a fan. So can you kind of speak to that race and what it meant to you? That's just it, man. There's just so many moments that I've had with, with this job where like we were talking about the 1258. It's like, I want to say that was the best moment of of my life. But then I looked at all the other moments in running. I'm like, you know, those are all pretty great moments um, created from the sport also. Uh, so that's, that's definitely up there with one of one of my favorite moments of my life too, is, um, for similar reasons, the, um, the culmination of, of years of work and being there with my, my family and my, my dad, my mom and, uh, seeing, seeing Bowerman. I mean, I had my teammate right behind me make the same Olympic team. It was, I mean, the most you can ask for, uh, at least at that time. <laughs> I think you, you do it, and now it's like, man, you want to do more than that too. But um, yeah, it's a, it's another another one of those moments where you're like, this was this is all worth it. Uh, something I really want to get into is as a fellow arm sleeves wearer, I've been a little disappointed to, to see you not break them out recently. And that was the pinnacle of the Woody arm sleeves was the, the U S Olympic trials, 10 K, uh, one in glory with the, the arm sleeves. And then, you know, they took a, took a hit in Tokyo when you threw them off mid race. And I feel like they haven't, they haven't seen their, their glory since then. So what's the deal with that? Take us through your relationship with the arm sleeves. Well, I threw them on one day for, I think, for the 10K because it was kind of chilly. It made sense at that time. And I just felt really good. I like the way they feel. Like, it just felt really good running. And um, it kind of kind of became a, an idea of, like, kind of putting on armor or something uh, where I just kind of was in race mode with it. So a, a little bit of superstition, a little bit of getting ready for something. And it was 105 degrees in the Olympic trials. And uh, I still wore them because I just felt good. And it was a little superstitious. And then when in Tokyo, when I was <laughs> gasping for air, I was like, all right, this is the end of the arm uh, Superstition's over, man. <laughs> so that was the end. They're not making a comeback? I mean, if it's cold out, I do still like how they feel. Uh, but the superstition's not there. The magic's gone. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I think you you could have run twelve forty if you wore them, but we'll never knew. Oh, you're right. I I tell myself the same thing. <laughs> that's where that's the biggest mistake I made. Thing that's successful will be highly scrutinized, and that's why even with my podcast, with the small amount of success it's had, with the caveat of my age, it gets criticized by people all the time, and I'm totally fine with that. Sure. I think the same with Bowerman because. You know, when we think of teams in the U.S. that have long histories of excellence, it's number one, in my opinion. Like, of course, it's going to get get criticized heavily. And I think it's always been speculated 
about in the media, different aspects of it, different members, um, you know, and so what's that kind of been like to be a part of? And also, as someone who's kind of in the media now, I don't know, I can, I don't like to consider myself in the media, even though I technically am. What are some of the things that frustrate you the most that the media, sports media, does a poor job of in running? If you could, like, control some of that stuff, like, what are some of the things that frustrates you? Well, I think, you know, it... <laughs> You're not going to control it in any way, man. And and the criticism is ultimately of your podcast. It's it's a compliment because um, it shows that, that people are, are paying attention and being very critical of what you're doing and observing and learning what you're doing, you know, uh, because you, you're doing it well. So if you want to try and change the media, good luck. It's just not it's not in your real house. It's not it's not going to happen. Um, I think the only thing you can do is just keep trying to do the best at your podcast or I just, or Bowerman just keeps trying to be the best at, at their job. And I, I really believe they still um, are trying to be excellent at what they do. Um, those guys, they all, they went to elite universities and, and girls, they went to elite universities. They're extremely motivated and um, they, they just want, they want to win. And I think they do it the right way. And, so I, I don't see Bowerman, um, the, the criticism they, they receive is usually because they're doing it very well and, and people are going to pick apart every possible little thing and speculate on any possible, um, shortcoming. You know, they're, they're going to po- speculate. They, they have proof that, that, uh, Bowerman has a doping conviction. Um, I don't know if people all really believe that that Bowerman's doping, but I think they probably could choose to believe. Um, but I, I, I know they're not, and so they're just going to be really good. <laughs> and and I think if you if you get criticism on your podcast, uh, it's only be a matter of time until people find something. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't think too much about it or try and control anything there. Right, I'd agree with you. Well, I'm curious though, from from your perspective. What's it like being on that side? I mean, I could kind of speak to this with me. Really, I only care about criticism from from people I care about. You know, if someone from my family says something, I'll obviously listen to them rather than, you know, some random message board poster. I'm curious with you, is is it that same perspective where, you know, what's it like being on that side where you can't control what the outside world is saying and and you know who you are? But I'm sure it's still got to be frustrating when... Whether it's yeah. people speculating on your teammates who you truly hold near and dear to your heart or something as stupid as the 10K drama that was all last <laughs> week. Like, uh, you can't control yeah. that, but ultimately it does no. still take up headspace. Like, you still do think about it. Um, so, like, how do, you mm-hmm. can, how, do you, how do you work through those things? Um, I do think you still need to call – like, you need to – you're right. Like what you said, you need to surround yourself with people who will call you on your bullshit. Um, and if there is a situation where it's like, hey, you screwed up or you could have done this better, you need to have people in your life who will tell you that. Um, at the same time, uh, you have to hope that those people are level-headed enough to not listen to people who are less informed about the situation. You know, I think the more someone knows about whatever thing they're talking to you about, the more you should take it to heart. And uh, yeah, I think it's good. Family is always a good option. Your teammates are always a good option. Um, you know, these are people that really know the behind the scenes. Your coach, of course. People who've seen um, everything that you do, uh, the people that help you on your podcast. Yeah, I think constructive criticism is, is the way that you're going to get better. But uh, the heads, having your pulse on what people are saying is is different than taking it to heart right totally uh you have accomplished so much in this sport and quite frankly i'm not just you know i'm a very honest guy uh i'll tell it to you how i see it so so don't take this as me trying to suck up to you because that's not it at all but i was gonna say if you retired today I, i would probably tell my kids about you in terms of like runners who i grew up watching who were truly excellent you know the 1258 the olympic trials win you know making it to tokyo making it to uh, Worlds last summer, and then, you know, the 1251 in dominant fashion. You know, I'll always remember that woody kick. The reason I bring those things up is because 
if you retired today, I would I would remember your name and the different things you've done. And I'm curious, like, what more is there for you to do in your career that you truly think you can accomplish? I think it, job's never done. That's that's the hard part about the sport, man. Is I'll talk to people who have been medalist in this sport, and I've talked to people who uh, never even ran um, at the collegiate level, and everyone still kind of feels like they they could have done something more. And I don't think that's a bad thing because it, it kind of keeps you hungry to to want to get up and keep doing and keep getting better in different ways. Now, I think that has to evolve as you get older, and um, what I want to do is um, I want to still perform at a high level. I think in the back of my mind, I still think I can medal out there, but it's not what I think about every day. And also, I also, I want to see, I want to continue this kind of Bowerman, um, the things that I loved about Bowerman. You know, I want that to continue in the sport because I think it was a good thing. Uh, the, th- the, the good things about Bowerman that, that they've done um where they 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 have they're an excellent team they they help each other they all are are friends with each other and i think i want to keep that alive because i really like that part and i like that part of my life so um that requires constant maintenance that requires meeting meeting new people that requires uh trying new things and so uh i think the same is true for for trying to get a medal one thing I, I do want to talk about, again, this is maybe uh, a touchy subject or slash something that I feel like the media digs into. So if I'm being like that, please let me know. But like when I I actually think before the 1258, when I first heard about you was that that US 5K watching it, laughing my head off with you and Paul and, and that quote unquote beef. Um, I feel like Paul was a guy that Bowerman had just funny stuff with, with Lopez and Paul, and I feel like you were the, the third wheeler there. Um, what's your opinion on, like, beef within the sport and, and competitive? Like, even I know people last week were trying to beef up you and, and Joe Klecker, and there's no blood there, but, like, what's mm-hmm. that? What Like, what's your opinion on rivalries slash beef? Like, do you think it's good for the sport? I know this is kind of a cliche, generic question, but, like, what are your thoughts on all that? Do you think it's good to to shoot your shot, call your shot? Uh, or do you like the kind of aspect that our sport has kind of maintained of people are pretty cordial and, and kind to one another? I think if you're going to start beef, uh, it's a fool's errand because you're just not on top that long. So if you want, it's it's not like any other sport where it's, uh, you can point the finger anywhere else except for yourself. Uh, if you, <laughs> if you want to start beef, it's really fun when things are going well, but I just know how quickly beef can really th- just be thrown back in your face. And you want to know why nobody wants to do it because anybody with any <laughs> any idea knows that they, they can't be the best forever. And so unless you're sure you're going to show up and win every race, it's it's a tough thing to, to start beef. And, and at the end of the day, like most of us, we know how hard this sports is. Anyone at the elite level has been through all the waves, all the has taken so many hits, and those things uh, don't make you so confident about winning every single race. Now you can have more confidence in your training and, and being up in in every race, but uh, I just know that I'm one three hundred away from pulling my hamstring, man. So it's like <laughs> I I don't want to be like I'm going to go out there and win a gold medal because it's like. I think I'm capable of that. And if I do the right things, I can do it. But I know that if I sprint one day and pull my hamstring, I, I, I look like a damn fool, you know. Will we see you on the track until 2028? Or do you think you'll you'll move to the roads by that point? Uh, I don't know. I, I think so. I think I'll probably be on the roads. I want to be a, if I'm realistic, I think uh, given I don't have one of those major injuries, I can make it three more years on the track and be very successful and still have that. I still feel really good. Uh, but after that, I I want to move into the Rose Marathon. For you, how important has it been to, to have fun within this sport and kind of, as we were talking about earlier, like maintain that passion. I think passion is stripped away, you know, when you're not having fun with it and when it's being forced. And I think there are periods where you can force it, but it's not a sustainable way to do the sport. And I think a big thing is, continually asking yourself what excites you about this sport so for you what are those two questions like that kind of 
pull at each other is like what I'm best at slash what excites me like what's that balance for you or do those line up is what you're best at what excites you right now um frankly I'm I'm excited about things that I'm sometimes not sure about <laughs> you know I think that the 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 possibility I'm sometimes more excited by than than what I'm best at at that moment I I get excited about getting good at, at things that I, I I think I can do, I guess. I, I tend to weigh towards, you have to be reasonable. You know, you can't be a marathoner saying, I'm gonna go back to training for a mile after you've just been training for the marathon for three years. But uh, I think whatever race you are most excited about doing uh, is the race that you sh you'll probably have the most success training for. Um, because you're just excited to get up and, and do this and to race it. So within reason that it is a balance that you walk like i'm not i'm not going to be running 800 anytime soon so i'm sure I'm, I'm very curious as to how that would be it'd be cool but um i'm excited to do the 5k you know I, I love racing the 5k and so that's that matches up with okay what what am i really good at and what am i excited to do speaking of you running an 800 what are some of the events within track and field or, or the sport in general that you wish we had whether it was the four by eight or, or four by mile or even something like what they have in Japan, like the Ikaden, like the, the running road race. Like, are there any of those things that you used to talk about with the Bowerman boys on your easy runs that you guys wish you could, you could do? It's funny you say that. Cause I actually, I would love to run the Ikaden, but I don't know if you can run the Ikaden as a foreigner professional athlete. Like I know they have college. I, I don't know if that's even a possibility. Is it? I'm not sure. I know they. I were you a part of the one they did in Michigan? I know Elise did the 10k. I was. Okay. Uh, obviously yeah. not very competitive. I'm talking about but... the action. <laughs> hey, that's not what we do going to the race. <laughs> well, you just you guys that's just. That's not blew... what we were thinking for the race. Yeah, you blew everyone's doors off. Yeah, no. To to answer your question, I am far removed from Japan distance running, so I'm not sure. But like, yeah, uh, this is all very. The, me us talking about the four by eight here is not going to change. You know, USATF's not going to be like, Woody and Dominic talked about it. We're putting it into place. So, I mean, if you want to have the Akaden be like the event we bring over or you're a part of, like, is that it or is it something else? No, I mean, I, I love those. I, I like the idea of having uh, relays and uh, that kind of team environment again on the roads. I, I like that. So I, I could see that happening in the future. On the track, it's like, I guess I'm more traditionalist where I'm like, Let's just keep the same races. You know, I'm not uh, <laughs> not trying to to, to um, reinvent the wheel there. Um, I think road races you can have um, more fun. From wrapping this up here soon, uh, you know, as you sit with me here today, having many many years of successful years and and professional distance running, you had a, a storied college career. Of course, you had your your low points with injuries, but overall you did some remarkable stuff. Obviously, that helped you get a professional contract. And then before that, even in high school, uh, you were accomplished. What are some of the biggest lessons off the top of your head that the sport of running has taught you? So many, so many lessons. I feel like we've just been t telling lessons this whole podcast. Wasn't this like a a lessons podcast. That's what it's about. It's about, you know, <laughs> stripping down a 1251 5k guy and making yeah. him relatable to, to the high schooler and, and using that wisdom yeah. to inspire anyone listening. Well, to, to high school, I would say, you know, don't just, just stay in it, man. Uh, there were many times when you can walk away when it just doesn't seem like it's going to be, uh, the year. It's not going to be the month. It's not going to be the the career that you think is going to, it's going to be, but as long as you stay in it and you keep doing it with people that you love doing it, then, then the biggest lesson is just keep trying things you like to do, right? If you like doing it and if it's going the right way, if it's not going the right way, I think still trying different ways, approaching it different ways and you doing it with people you like, it will, it will turn out in some way. In uh, a positive way. Yeah. 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 I'm curious, outside of the sport, what are some of the things in your day-to-day -day life that bring you the most joy right now? Uh, running is one of them. You know, I still, I go to bed and I'm excited to do my run in the morning, to chug a smoothie, drink coffee, and to go for a run. Like, that's, that's definitely one of them. And then, uh, 
you know, my, my girlfriend, my family, that's pretty much my entire life right now. And, and I'm excited to, to see if, if Mike Smith, if he does take me to see where that goes, because I really liked, really liked training in Flagstaff and I like those guys, um, and working with young people. And, uh, I love how excited they are to do it too. So I'm excited for that. If it happens, if he, if Mike says he'll take me on, but from a, from a day to day perspective, I think I like, yeah, just getting up, going for my run, uh, and just that's, uh, talking to, talking to my girlfriend, talking to my family that takes up my whole day, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the whole day when you're running two hours, you nap in there and you're doing core, you know, what you, what you have time for is to, to FaceTime your girlfriend and talk to your mom. That, that's really it. What are some of the things within the sport that excite you the most, whether it's within your own running or from a fan perspective, viewing your competitors? Like, what are those things that excite you the most about the sport? I, I feel like I've answered that question. I, the exciting part of the sport is everything uh, around. You know, I love racing and I love the, uh, the atmosphere before racing. I'm excited to go do more races in Europe. I think the Diamond League is an exciting part of the sport. I think the Olympics are always going to be exciting. So there are those big events that are exciting, but also uh, just trying new things. And and I have a different stimulus in training right now. Um, so it's it's the whole picture that that's exciting. Uh, my favorite thing is is still to to get dinner before races. So there's the new things and. And there's the classics, man. After you hang up the, the spikes or the road racing shoes or whatever they are, what do you want people to think of when they hear the name Woody Kincaid? I don't think I, I, I don't know, man. I don't control that. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair. I, I think I could say what I want people to think and, and it would be completely the opposite. You never know how your, your, what your legacy is going to be, but um, I'm going to just keep trying to be the best runner I can be. I love it. Okay, one final serious question for you. If you had to leave our audience today with one message, could be fun, could be serious, could be philosophical, what would you want it to be? One me- is this like which? What's the audience? Uh, like I said, it's different for wherever you are in life. I really think uh, that. I'll disagree with you here, man. I believe that all the lessons you learn in life. I mean, dude, discipline is the same for a 10-year-old or for a 70-year-old. It could look different, but mm-hmm. the lesson of discipline applies to everyone. The lesson of yeah. committing to the process over the outcome, it could, it could be in running or it could be in business. It's the same lesson. I'll disagree with you here. I agree. I agree. I agree. The lesson is always the same, but it's uh, who, how you hear it changes as you get older. Okay. Uh, I'll pick, (laughs) I'll pick, let's just say, I mean, our biggest audience demographic is the ages of 14 to 22. So whatever is that, is that range good enough for you? Yeah, that's, I got an idea. Okay. Let's hear it. The biggest thing I can advise is don't be fooled by all the bells and whistles of whatever, whatever thing you are pursuing, whether it be running, uh, you know, university, whatever. Don't be full. Don't go to the place with, um, the, the big, the, the most shiny toy, right? Go to the place where you vibe, where you mesh with the people the most, because it goes back to what you're saying earlier in the podcast. Those are the people that you are going to be formed by. And so if you're a composite of the five people you spend the most time with, then don't be fooled and look for, uh, the toys look look for the people love it okay one final question for you the question i ask every single guest if you had gordon ramsay coming over for dinner what would you choose to make for him i'd make him uh bon me wraps or bon me sandwiches what is that because what's in that i think it'd be a hard thing bon me it's like uh it's a vietnamese okay. french sandwich baguette it's like uh it's, it's traditionally has pork but there are other ways you can do it you can make it vegan you can make it with chicken and turkey um yeah i think that would be simple enough where he it'd be really hard for him to be like this is an awful sandwich <laughs> you know he could not he could not really lay into it but i also think i'd do it pretty well where uh he'd be like all right okay all right. <laughs> i think i could i think i could get a passing grade from from gordon but I don't know, man. I from what I've seen from chicken, if I put too much pepper on something, he's gonna be like, "What do you think's wrong with it?" And I'll be like, "Too much pepper." He's like, "Too much fucking pepper," you know, like. 
So I don't think there's anything that I could have done. Uh, but Bonby is 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 what I'll what I'll go with. Awesome. Well, Woody, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Hopefully, you'll come back on in the future, whether you win another U.S. Olympic trial so you can do a new Instagram bio, or whether you retire from the sport tomorrow. You're always welcome back on the show. Appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted, and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review, and consider sharing with a friend. Through that, we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out. Generally, we release two to three episodes per week, so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly. I hope you're running and life is going well. Guys, keep chasing mastery, and I will catch you in next episode.